our health system is completely unprepared to address any changes in, in climate change. So how we deal with heat, floods, increase of disease and pests and so forth. It's going to be an interesting thing to see when, when suddenly doctors will start talking about um, uh, climate change. Welcome to What's Ethical, a podcast sponsored by Warburton Advisors, where thought leaders engage on how they influence others and master ethical dilemmas, all with the aim towards helping listeners deliver a triple bottom line. Welcome to What's Ethical. I'm your host, Beth Haddock, and in this episode, we'll have a discussion about influencing change and how one can manage barriers that impede progress, including a lack of education or agency, or even counterproductive forces such as corruption or unethical behavior. My guest today is Nick Heidelberg. Nick is the Climate Change Coordinator within the United Nations Environment Program in Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's start with how you came to work on the challenge of climate change. If you'd share your story, please. Okay, so um, first of all, climate change is kind of a defining uh, issue of our uh, our time. Uh, but that was not quite the reason why I came to be involved in, in climate change. It was rather a, let's say... Uh, I wanted to do things that were different from others. Uh, so all my buddies, they went to study like uh, economy or engineering or something like that. So I went to study forestry. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that then led me to all kinds of development issues. And uh, that took me to move to Africa. And then a few years later, I started working with United Nations and now I've been here already for 13 years uh, and this is my seventh job uh, within United Nations and that's where I then came to work on climate change and and I would say that it's perhaps one of the best jobs I have because it's a really exciting field uh, there's a lot of new things happening there's technology there's human behavior there's economics uh, it's it's a uh, one pack with everything in it. Thank you. It's so interesting because when one thinks of forestry, you wouldn't necessarily think super exciting. And I think that's the same for our audience who are gatekeepers, compliance, legal and risk officers within companies. But they really are considered change agents and they're encouraging better decisions for the collective good within the organizations Mm -hmm. that they work. And they they regularly face, they have to identify and then they face barriers and and are constantly looking for better ways in which they can manage through um, anything that might impede their progress. And a lot of times they're they're trying to incentivize good behavior. Um, so if you could please share some strategies, maybe a, a project that you've worked on within climate change where you needed to think about how you could increase engagement, um, help eliminate some barriers. Perhaps we could just focus in on training and education about the importance of the project and to get more stakeholders sort of on board to help with the momentum for, for what you're doing. Okay, so perhaps on education and, and training. So a key part of how we kind of, let's say, d- 
develop as a, as a society is after all the students and the, the schools that educate us. So um, we're working quite a bit uh, with universities to bring in climate change into their curricula and not for a specific uh, field of study but rather across all the fields mm -hmm. of study so that the future economists, the future lawyers, doctors and so forth actually have a better understanding on how their trade, if you will, uh, has an impact on climate change and how climate change have an impact on their trade. So to give an example, uh, our health system is completely unprepared uh, to address any changes in, in climate change. So how we deal with uh, heat, floods, uh, increase of, of uh, disease and pests and so forth. Um, it's going to be an interesting thing to see when, when suddenly doctors will start talking about um, uh, climate change. Thank you. And when, when we um, think about uh, whether it's doctors or any of the others that you just gave us an example, we think about encouraging them. Uh, a lot of times within uh, corporations, multinational corporations, we use behavioral economics mm -hmm. um, to really incentivize rather than preaching to our audience or our stakeholders to sort of incentivize them um, to really sort of help with our efforts. And yeah. it, that can either be more ethical conduct or it can be sort of less wasteful um, behaviors you were just talking about. And And do you do you believe in the concept that it's it's more effective to incentivize the behavior than it is to perhaps command or punish unethical or wasteful behavior? How do you how do you feel about that connection between punishing versus sort of incentivizing and what do you think is a better approach for a change agent? Well, Okay, so I think, first of all, I think we need to learn from the private sector. They have, for example, used uh, behavioral economics for eons. Uh, they known that the middle-priced wine bottle is the one that will sell the most, or they know that uh, where you pro place your products in a shop has a huge impact on the sales. So I, I do think we need to learn from them and, and pick that up. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, kind of behavioral economics and nudges is the only uh, solutions. We do also need uh, laws and regulations and, and we, we talked a while ago about uh, education systems as well. So, so we need all of this together. And uh, those laws and regulations and behavioral economics or, or the nudges, they need to be aligned with the societal norms. So if, uh, let's say, people all agree that we shouldn't drive too fast. We have probably all seen a, somebody overtaking us and we're like, that maniac is driving too fast. Uh, so we, we tend to agree that there needs to be speed limitations. Uh, so that speed limitation, you can get tickets, there can be that law enforcement part to it, but there can also be other solutions to it. Uh, speed bumps, for example, or, or, or signs that say that look to the right there's a beautiful lake there or something like that and that will all help with uh, with reducing the speed uh, we, we're also in climate change we're looking at, at uh, using nudges uh, to, to shift behavior uh, an example could be that 
currently when you buy an, uh, an air ticket, it's all you can opt in for offsetting that emissions, uh, but you actually have to do some work for it. So you have to take a little bit of time, you have to do a couple of clicks and you have to pay money. We would like to see that airlines would put in uh, offsets as the default value. So when you buy a ticket, you go from, let's say, from Nairobi to, to London and back, that, that $30, $40 extra would be by default included in the price. You can still opt out if you're short on cash or so, but uh, that would help to increase, kind of reduce the, the emissions from, not the emissions, but reduce the impact of the aviation sector a lot. And that would be a small, small, it's changing a tick on a website. Thank you. I, I've learned a lot. I just learned about opting in because I really actually wasn't aware of that before. Um, so I do think that's a great example about how perhaps you can do more by making it. I, I do believe people generally want, once they're educated and trained about an issue, they do want to join in. And the easier that we make it for them, sometimes that can really help our progress. Um, so, so when before we were recording, you had mentioned that you thought 2019 was going to be um, a really successful year. So, uh, so sort of as my last question for you, maybe you can give us a sense of um, what you see being some of the accomplishments in the next year or two what you think our audience, who are, are generally leaders within multinational or even local organizations um, that are helping with ESG or impact investing mm -hmm. or sustainability programs. And I do think our audience would like to help along. So if you can give us a sense of what you think um, is going to be the priority and, uh, and the good news for 2019 at 2020 and, and perhaps how they can help. Well, in general, I would say that private sector and investors, they're always looking for trends. So if we're looking at climate change, uh, that trend is so mature. Uh, I, you, you probably may have seen uh, in the climate change negotiations that you had kids uh, skipping school, to, mm -hmm. they boycotting schools. Uh, I believe this is something that's going to happen and 2019 will be a big year for it. I believe that individuals will take extra decisions to either put solar panels uh, on their houses or or they will change their diet or they will change how they move. So perhaps if they're in the market for a new car or something uh, to move around with, they may buy an electric car or a, a e-scooter. Um, I think governments have come to the realization that they will have to take those decisions that are not perhaps always the most uh, positive ones in terms of, of uh, popular politics. Uh, they will have to make the, the hard decisions. But here I think it's, it's an important one for us to, to really emphasize on, on the opportunities. Renewable energy in many cases are already cheaper than fossil fuels. Uh, electric scooters, it's actually one of the cheapest way of, of moving around in a city. Uh, seeing electric scooters in from New York to, to Jerusalem to China to where, wherever, everybody is moving with them and 
you're just going to see an increase in in, um, in this type of, of uh, mobility solutions. Well, thank you, Nick, for your time. That's, that's it for today. Um, I really appreciate you um, speaking with me today. Learn more about delivering a triple bottom line by visiting warburtonadvisors.com. And remember to share and like this podcast so others can find it more easily. Thank you.